0: Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so we find ourselves as a church in a changing world. And so this this week and next week, I I just want to explore uh, this This idea of a changing world and particularly what I want to talk about is the call of us the followers of Jesus the call of the church in the midst of a changing world and so you might say so you know that's we've we've pictorially represented that this morning by a world Rubik's Cube Um, and so uh, for some people uh, in the church they feel like the world has just been like a Rubik's Cube that's been messed all up and they don't know how to make sense of it. Uh, We've put labels on this and and Christian scholars will talk about post-Christendom which is a reference to uh, 300 BC when Constantine um, many debate his reasons probably uh, political rather than a genuine turn to faith decided well Rome's going to switch dramatically from trying to kill all the Christians to everyone has to be a Christian Um, and from there forward church got into bed with the state uh, and that caused some good things but uh, also a whole lot of bad stuff. And so, so that has pretty well, that idea of church and state welded together has pretty well collapsed around the world. Uh, many will celebrate that, of course, um, including myself, um, but many people grieve that idea. And so though Australia's never had this idea of church and state been welded together as one entity, uh, the, the essence of that is still falling apart. And so some people call the world at the moment post-Christian, that Christianity is no longer the dominant culture in the world. And so, again, some people will celebrate that. I mean, Christian people um, in the church, some Christian scholars will celebrate the idea that we're no longer the dominant culture because that power corrupts um, the church, and others will grieve it. And and so however we perceive this, Christianity is far less favorably viewed upon in the world than it was perhaps a generation ago. And, And so in that light, I just want to explore what it means for us to to be consistent to the calling of the church in a a different world. And so this is something that many Christians are wrestling with. I went to a symposium, uh, which is a fancy name for a conference last Monday uh, in Sydney, and the title of that was Not in Kansas Anymore. Um, it, It was exploring this idea of, well, we're in unfamiliar territory for many of us in the church, and so how do we be the church In this unfamiliar territory and so it's not a question um that is is not something that the whole church is wrestling with at the moment and and so some would want to go back to christendom and 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 have the you know the the church be influencing and and telling the state what to do and vice versa and some people would want to go back to um the the dominant christian culture and and some uh would have us do umpteen other things and so what I want to do over the next two weeks is just explore two key planks that are that are ages old they're not new Um, they're centuries millennial millenniums old of what we're called to do and be as the church in the midst of a changing culture And so I had Kits read to us from Jeremiah this morning, and it was only a short passage. Uh, But Jeremiah is written uh, firstly to people in Jerusalem, but by the time we get to Jeremiah 29, uh, the people of uh, Israel, the city of Jerusalem has been completely destroyed and the people have been exiled to the city of Babylon. And so those people found themselves in a dramatically changed world. They were taken from Jerusalem, which was centered around the the entire city was built around the worship of Yahweh, the, the, the biblical God, the Lord. And so they found themselves in a city that had hundreds of foreign gods. They were no longer in a place that was centered around the worship of Yahweh. They found themselves in a place that had a completely different moral compass. They found themselves detached from everything that was familiar. And so the question that the, the exiles of Jerusalem had in Babylon was, was how do we continue to be God's people in a foreign world? One of the Psalms you may, um, you know, was, was uh, popularized in song, I don't know, in the 60s, 70s, 80s by the rivers of Babylon. Um, but... It speaks of how how do we sing the songs of God in a foreign land? How do we worship our God? How do we be true to who our God's called us to be, detached from Jerusalem, detached from the world that we know? And so this helps us in 2017 in Yas because we, we're exploring a similar question in the Western world. Though we've not been exiled from our hometown, no one has come and destroyed Yass or Australia and, and shipped us off to the Middle East, but, but we're exploring a similar question. What does it look like for the church to be God's people in a changed world? So Jeremiah's words to the exiles in, Jerusalem, uh, in Babylon, exiled from Jerusalem, help us to understand the same question, different situation, but the same question. And so what Kish read to us this morning is the prophetic call of God to his people in exile, to his people in a foreign land. And to reread the first few verses of that in 4 and 6 of Jeremiah 29, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease." And so the first part of this prophetic call, which leads us to to what we're going to really talk about in a moment, but the first part of the prophetic call is to continue to live life. The call is to engage and connect, not to disengage, not to disconnect. Enter into society, enter into the culture, enter into the city that you find yourself in. Because the temptation for many in the church, as we see ourselves in a, in a less church-friendly culture, is to disconnect, to, to run away. There's been a book called the, the Benedict Option, which is essentially about, I haven't read it, but I've read the, the synopsis, essentially about, well, the church has found itself in an unfamiliar, unfriendly environment, so we need to disconnect and, and basically form Christian enclaves, Christian countercultures, and wait for more favorable winds before we resurface from our holes in the ground. And we might laugh at that, but the temptation for us as followers of Jesus is to kind of do that, to see the world less friendly to to a Christian worldview and so to hide away from it. And so the prophetic call through Jeremiah to those who find themselves in far more hostile circumstances than I can imagine we will see in the next decades in Australia for the church, the call is still... Engage and connect, don't disengage and disconnect. To live life, to enter into society, to enter into culture. But then the real kicker is in verse 7. This is, this is the, the heart of the call I want to explore on the church this morning. Verse 7, it says, Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And so God says to his people through the prophet, seek and pray for the peace and the prosperity of the city. Now those words peace and prosperity are actually the same word in Hebrew. They are the Hebrew word shalom. And so God says, to his people in exile pray for the shalom of the city work towards the shalom of the city because the shalom of God's people is bound up with the shalom of the city Uh, so what does shalom mean well it does mean peace it does mean prosperity uh, but it means more than that than any word that we could put in English it means perfect peace It means prosperity, it means welfare, it means wholeness, it means well-being, it means healed, it means safe, it means secure. It essentially means everything as God intended it to be. And so the exiles in Babylon were called to be agents of shalom in the city of Babylon, in the empire of Babylon. They were called to be agents of perfect peace, of prosperity, of welfare, of wholeness, of well-being, of healing, of safety, of security. They were called to be agents of Shalom in Babylon, the city that had just obliterated their own city and carried them off into exile as slaves. They were called to be agents of Shalom there. And God also says that the shalom of the exiles was bound up with the shalom of the surrounding city as he he says there'll be no peace and prosperity and welfare and wholeness and well-being and healing and safety and security for you as God's people if there's that not also that in the city that you find yourself in. That, that, That now that that the exiles from jerusalem find themselves exiled in babylon that their destinies are bound up with the city of babylon one of the key biblical examples we get of of this kind of living is daniel who lives as an exile and he became essential like many other jewish people to the prosperity of the city if we read through through daniel which i'm not going to read through it this morning for the sake of time But if you read through the book of Daniel, you'll see exiled people in Babylon who have become crucial to the functioning of the city. And Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are just a few examples of that. Daniel becomes the second most powerful person in the empire of Babylon because he captured this message of seeking the shalom of the city he's been exiled to. But he did that while remaining devoted to Yahweh the Lord wholeheartedly and refusing to bow down to any other idols. In fact, uh, you may have heard of the phrase Daniel in the lion's den. Well, Daniel found himself in a lion's den because he refused to bow down to the gods of Babylon while still being crucial to the operating, uh, the shalom of Babylon. Babylon. And Daniel wasn't alone. Uh, Jewish people who were exiled to Babylon and then Persia came and wiped out Babylon and became the empire that they were exiled to by default. Jewish people became translators and, and, and bankers and interpreters, which is kind of the same thing as translators, I admit. Uh, but they became crucial. They became crucial to the prosperity, the peace, the, the living of the, the empires they were, they were exiled to. And they did it not through teaching the world they were in Hebrew. They didn't teach the world around them how to speak Hebrew. They learnt Babylonian. They learnt Persian. They learnt the culture around them rather than enforcing the culture of Jerusalem upon Babylon. And so God called his people in a foreign land, to be agents of shalom to the foreign land. And so I want to suggest this morning that that is the calling of the church in a changing world, is that we are called to be agents of shalom. We're called to be agents of peace, of prosperity, of healing, of welfare, of safety. And in the New Testament, we find the early followers of Jesus picking up on this language and saying just that. If you've got your Bibles with you, I just invite you to flip to 1 Peter chapter 2. And because it, here in verses 9 and 12, Peter appropriates this language of exile and of being foreigners when he writes to the early church about how they're to live in the caustic environment of the Roman Empire. If you think that the world's becoming less favorable to Christianity uh, in our times then nothing compares or is remotely like in our day in, in the Western world at least to the, the caustic environment of the early Roman well, the early church in the first three hundred years of the Roman Empire. The Emperor Nero used Christians as candles essentially to light up his festivities, put them in cages, and set them alight. There was wave after wave of emperors trying to outdo the previous emperors at how uh, torturous, how oppressive, how violent their behaviour was to, towards Christianity. And, and so Peter writes to the church, finding itself in a in a hostile environment that that still exists in some places in the world today and we should pray for those Christian brothers and sisters who live in such an environment. But, But that is way beyond what we could imagine. And he says in verses 9 to 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into wonderful light, into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so he's saying to the church, you are now God's people. And he says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. And then he says, live such good lives amongst the pagans, which here stands for all those that that don't... Um, Don't worship the Christian God, Yahweh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So so in this time, pagans would have stood for those who literally worshipped at a pagan temple. But for us, we, we can stand in here the word, all who oppose the Christian faith live such good lives amongst those who oppose the Christian faith to oppose the church that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. And so Peter says to the church, you were holy and set apart, yet called to be engaged and connected. Peter says to the church that you are aliens and strangers. He, he grabs on to this exilic language and says, you find yourself in a world that is not ultimately your home. Because as followers of Jesus, we long for a different world to the one that we live in. We long for Jesus to usher in the new heavens and the new earth and and, and for us to dwell with him for all eternity. That is our true home. And so the world as it is at the moment isn't our our eternal home. And so, so Peter grabs onto this exilic language and says, as aliens, as strangers in the world live such good lives. Live such good lives that those who don't believe in God now result in praising God. This is essentially in different words saying that as the church we're called to be just what the the people of Jerusalem were called to be in Babylon, we're called to be agents of shalom in the world. We're called to be those who are agents of peace, agents of prosperity, agents of security and safety, agents of welfare, agents of healing in the world. The New Testament language for this, shalom kind of drops out because it's Greek, and so the New Testament picks up this idea of the kingdom of God. Or another way of putting it would be God's rule and reign or another way of putting it would be the world that Jesus envisages. We're called to be agents of the kingdom, and that doesn't mean using the the kingdom language. It doesn't mean that we're called to dominate and rule over the world. We're called to be agents of ushering into the world, the world as Jesus intends it to be. And so I just want to read this morning just to remind us of what the world as Jesus intends us to be will look like in the fullness when it comes to, the new heavens and the new earth from Revelation 21, 1 to 5. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautiful, dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away he who sits on the throne said i am making everything new that prophetic vision of the future that is to come in revelation gives us a picture of the world that that jesus envisages No more pain, no more suffering, no more crying, no more weeping. All things restored to the way they are meant to be. We we have four kind of vision statements as a church that kind of paint together the four kind of key pillars as a church that we're, we're moving towards. And the third one of those says, we long to see the local community become a better place. We seek to actively bring the kingdom of God, and that doesn't mean we seek to actively rule over it. It's what we've been talking about. We seek to be agents of shalom into our local community and lovingly invest into the lives of people within it. We desire to influence and equip people towards positive personal change that impacts the whole community. That's, that's wrapping a whole bunch of words around this idea of part of our vision as a church, part of our calling as a church is to be agents of shalom in the, in the town, in the nation that we find ourselves in. And as that call to the exiles makes clear, that calling does not diminish or become diluted no matter how hostile the world may be or become to the church and to Christian faith. Even in Babylon, the city of exile, the the people of God were called to be agents of Shalom. Even in the, the Roman Empire in the first three centuries AD or CE, depending on which historical reference you use, after Jesus, they still start at the same date regardless of whether Jesus is included in that dating name. But even in the first three centuries of the church, which the, the might of the perhaps most powerful regime the world has ever seen tried to stamp out and destroy... Even in that environment, the church was called to live such good lives, to be agents of shalom into the world it found itself in. And so this is our calling. The world is far more favorable still for the faith that we have and the church that we are part of than, than either Babylon or the Roman world, but but this remains our calling to be agents of shalom because Jesus, who we follow and who we worship, envisages a different world to the one we currently live in. He envisages a world where a child does not have to grow up without knowing that there's an adult who cares for them and affirms them and wants to spend time with them. We become agents of shalom because we believe in a Jesus that doesn't envisage a world, that people live lives in isolation and disconnection and so we, we, we build a sense of community and we offer to the community a sense of belonging and community. We believe in a Jesus who envisages a world without sickness and suffering and so we pray for the sick. If we increase in boldness, we'll even pray for the dead to be raised if Jesus puts that on our heart because that's what he called for us to do, to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, to cast out demons. But we do that because Jesus envisages a better world than the one we live in. We become agents of shalom because Jesus envisages a world apart from relationship breakdown. And so we enter into the mess of people's lives and relationships to be agents of peace and prosperity for their relationships. And how do we do it? Well, we do it through collective efforts like Kids Hope. where where we as a church partner together and and say we're going to go into the schools and this isn't about preaching the gospel to the children. It's simply about us being there, being agents of shalom for the children, that they would have peace and prosperity and welfare, that they'd be healed and whole and secure and safe and and we're only in their lives for an hour a week, but we believe that, that with God with us, that hour a week can impact their entire life and bring shalom into it. We we do it through collective efforts like Babes in Arms, which is really just showing movies to mums and dads with little kids, but it's about building a sense of community, that there's a place that you can come to, that you belong, that's for you. We do it through bush dances, where you can come and dance and be merry, and it's not about getting smashed or destroying yourself. It's about community and fun and joy. We do it through collective things like coffee groups for those who who are suffering or have suffered with mental illness and we just come and build a sense of community. We do it through play groups. We do it, of course, through our church gatherings together and life groups. We do it collectively, but we're also called to do it in our personal lives. We're also called to enter into the mess of people's lives as agents of shalom. We're called as individuals to connect and engage, not disconnect and disengage with the world we find ourselves in. That means our streets, our neighbours. That means our our workplaces. That means our cafes. Uh, I mean like that you go to. That's double for you, Dan, workplace and cafe. but, But the cafes that we go to, we're called to be agents of shalom, to connect and engage, not disconnect and disengage. We're not called to be an enclave of followers of Jesus, who, who separate ourselves from the world, who build a wall around us. We're called to be, to be a well that people come to and draw from, not just talking of this building, but as we go out. And we do all that following the example of Jesus, who in John 3, 16, it says, what? If you know a Bible verse, it should be that one. For God so loved the world, that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believed in Him would not perish but have eternal life. We follow Jesus' example, but, but you may not know that the world or the Greek word cosmos in John is never used in a positive sense. In John's gospel, that word cosmos, which we translate world, is never used in a positive sense. It always is used not just to represent the literal world, to, to represent the brokenness, the sinfulness the sickness, the the ugliness of the world as it is. And so the enormity of this statement, the profoundness of this statement that God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus to die and to raise, be raised again on their behalf, the profoundness of that statement isn't that the world's so big, but that the world is so bad and broken and messed up, yet Jesus loved it so much that he would... Not just save it from afar, but enter into it, in enfleshed, and give his life up for it as the ultimate expression of love. So that now the scriptures will say, this is how we know what love is. That Jesus, while we were enemies of him, gave his life for us. And so we're agents of shalom following the example of Jesus not holding ourselves apart from the world but entering into it in our own flesh and blood, in our own skin, walking into the broken places in people's lives to be agents of prosperity, of peace, of welfare, of security, of wholeness, of safety, of love, of creating a world... Around us, that is the way that Jesus envisaged the world would be. Jesus is and was the ultimate expression of what an agent of shalom looks like and we are called to follow him. So I'm going to invite our our worship team to come up um, and lead us in song to finish off this morning. I'm just going to invite those who are willing to stand um, and we will stand for worship in a moment when you're free to sit down. Hopefully you know that. I've spent a while since I've said you're free to sit, stand, lie down, spin around, do whatever you want during worship. But you're free to do whatever you want as long as it's not impinging upon another person as you do it. But but, um, I just want to invite you to stand this morning uh, as I pray that God would shape us and empower us to be agents of shalom, to be agents of his rule and reign, to be agents of welfare, of prosperity, of peace, of perfect peace, to be agents of safety and security, to be agents of love in the world. And so I invite you to pray with me that God would empower us to be as the exiles in Babylon, to be as the church in Rome, to follow that calling to be agents of shalom. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you that we do have a much more safe and secure position as the church in the Western world and particularly in Yass today than many believers have throughout history and many believers even today have. So we stand with those followers of Jesus in the world that are being persecuted and tortured for their faith. And we just pray that you would give them strength and peace and and courage. And I pray for us as well, Lord, in in Yass, the, the, the church here this morning, Yass Community Baptist Church, I pray that you would give us courage that you would fill us with passion by your Holy Spirit to heed the call to follow Jesus, to follow the example of the exiles like Daniel, to follow the example of the early church like Peter, that we would heed the call to be agents of shalom, to be bringers of peace, prosperity, security, welfare, care, safety, wholeness into the world around us. Give us the courage. Give us the wisdom to be agents of Shalom. So Lord, I pray that you would work through us, that you would create around us not a restoration to Christendom not a restoration to the church dominating culture but through humility as we walk and follow you I pray that you would create around us true shalom that there would be peace and prosperity in yes that for our presence and the presence of other followers of you that are worshipping elsewhere this morning that for, for the presence of the church in yes that yes would be a better place, a more peaceful, prosperous, safe, secure, whole place. In Jesus' name we pray.